Hi everyone, I'm Abby Feeder, Certified Life and Fertility Coach, and you're listening to The Fertility Chick. This show is all about the road to parenthood, which is never the same, and our guests' professional success along the way. I want to thank you all so much for the amazing outpouring of love for last week's episode with my incredible sibling, Margalit. I think it touched so many people that have nothing to do with the fertility world, which is really what I'm aiming to do with this show, is educate people within and outside of the world of infertility and fertility, because I guarantee you it affects somebody you know and love, if not yourself. And to that end, we have an incredible doctor with us today. Dr. Amy Ivadizet is with us, also known as the Egg Whisperer, because she literally is the Egg Whisperer. And And Dr. Amy, she kind of ruins it for the rest of the fertility doctors because she's so incredible. She's highly personalized and tailored. She really does a per person approach and not a throw spaghetti on the wall approach. And her clients love her and her not clients love her. She's just a wonderful human all around. I've sent many clients to her. I don't know how she gets it all done. She literally never sleeps. She'll email me back at midnight at 6 a.m. We get a little bit into that and also making sure that she takes care of herself. Please enjoy the Egg Whisperer. Dr. Amy. Hi, Dr. Amy. Hi, Abby. It's so fun to be here with you at last. I'm so happy that you're here. Thank you for being here. Of course. Oh, my goodness. So many questions. So why don't we start with how did you end up in this field of medicine? It's a gene, Abby. I was born with it, literally. You know, my grandfather, my father, I mean, I just came out of the womb saying, like, who wants to have a baby? Now, were they obese or they were reproductive? Yeah, obese. And back in the day, I mean, there were no reproductive endocrinologists, you know, in 1950. You know what I mean? So my grandfather was like a renowned fertility expert in his day. And crazy story. And it's true. One of my very first IVF patients, my grandfather delivered her mother. Stop. And no, he gave her Clomid to have her. Then she comes to this country, okay, and I help this woman have a baby. She doesn't tell her mom that she had fertility issues. Her mom never shares it with her that she had fertility issues. Then when she had the baby, she finally told her mom, mom, I had to go through IVF. And her mom goes, oh, I had fertility issues too. And she goes, you know, they were just talking like, who's your doctor? And she goes, oh, Dr. Yvazade. She's like, oh, that's funny. That's a, that's an old doctor. And she's like, huh? (laughs) And then we had this crazy connection and I have so many connections now. And I have to remind myself, like, I feel like I'm 25 years old, you know, every single day. And I I have a, a, a patient, she's like 44 and I helped her have a baby and I was in people magazine and her mom picked it up and she goes, you know, we'll just call her Jane Doe. She goes, Jane Doe. It's so funny. I just picked up this people magazine. I see this doctor's name in there and that's the doctor that delivered you. She didn't tell her mom that she went through IVF with me. And she goes, mom, that's so funny. That's actually my fertility doctor. And it's like, wait, wait, wait. Am I that old that my my father is delivering my patients now? And the answer is yes. And there's so many crazy connections like that. Like my grandfather delivered the mother and father of a patient of mine who my father delivered and then I helped her freeze her eggs. This is I mean, crazy. Yeah. I mean, I can't make this up and it just – So even if you don't thing. deliver this person's eggs, you still helped get her baby here in some way, shape, or in form. In some way, shape, or form. Yeah. Where Where was your grandfather practicing this? In, in Tehran. And, um, Tehran. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I know you don't – you are a wonderfully open book and a, you know, Instagram genius – But you don't often talk about your personal life, which I think is so important as a fertility doctor. But also I think it's 
because I know you, I think it's beautiful that you're from your family's from Tehran, and I'm glad that you're willing uh, to share it. You know, yes, absolutely. I'm I'm one of the last of the Mohicans. I'm part of a a very small ethnic minority group called the Assyrians. We're known for big noses. Mm-hmm. Girl, I used to have one too. I got it taken care of. Okay? I'm the only one in my family that did not have it taken care of. But I swear yes. to God, anytime in a, I'm in a room and there's a plastic surgeon in there, like they they're like chomping at the bed. Oh, they're like, oh my God, I could fix that. I'm like, you're like the 3000th plastic surgeon that said that to me. I'm good. You're beautiful. And I, I know you know this. You obviously feel Thank good about you. it. But also I would not look at yours and be like, let me get my hands on that. You know, <laughs> totally. not at all. My yeah. sister though, good thing she had hers done. Yeah. And now does she end up in this field as well? Um, she ended up above the shoulders. So she's okay. a, an anesthesiologist. Oh. So she was the black sheep of the family. So we she Great was, job though. She was so pressured. She actually applied to both OBGYN and anesthesia and she decided to go into anesthesia. Wow. Yeah. My anesthesiologist at my birth literally saved my life. So I have the utmost respect for anesthesiologists. Uh-huh. I feel like they kind of get sidelined. They're extremely important. Yep. So yay for your sister. Same. Okay. So so was your father born in Tehran as well? He or? was. He was. Okay. He was born in Tehran. Um, they were all international medical grads. And they came here in the 70s. They were recruited. So, you know, believe it or not, you know, back then there was a shortage of doctors in this country and the red carpet was laid out for them, unlike what goes on now with international medical grads. Yeah. And so, but you were born in the States. I was. I was. I in was like born somewhere in- that I would never guess, like yeah, Michigan or in Boston. So my dad Boston. was a resident of Boston okay. at BU, and he was—he um, actually delivered my sister. My mom didn't make it to the hospital, and so he didn't deliver me, though. But we were both born in Boston, and then we came out to California to okay to grow up. You all, so you grew up out here. Yeah, totally. Okay, and okay. So at what point in your OBGYN life were you like, I think I want to head into reproduction, um, reproductive? I was eleven years old. Oh my God. So what were you thinking? What were you thinking? Tell me. Well, at three, I was like OB. And then at 11, I was like, holy shit, why is my mom screaming and crying in the middle of the night every night? Mm. And it's because she was just going through miscarriage after miscarriage. Mm. She was just going through so many miscarriages. And probably the hardest one, I think she was like, you know, 22 weeks pregnant. And I was like, this woman doesn't cry. I mean, she can't, she's an immigrant. I mean, like the stuff that she's been through to get here, it's like, a lot. And so for this, to hear those howls, I was like, okay, I need to fix that and dedicate my life to like help women just like that. And the thing is like, there's still so much work that I need to be doing because how we take care of women who go through miscarriages is just so terrible. So that's how I was like, I'm going to fix that shit. So that's very intense as 11 year old to understand what was going on, to Mm -hmm. be honest. And given that you're, you're an immigrant family, like I feel like if you're from Tehran, you have, you come from large families. Do you feel like was there added pressure culturally for your mom? Do yeah. you guys ever talk about large that? Large family. So she was one of six. My dad was one of four. And so it was just me and my sister. She wanted – they really wanted more children. And our joke is um, they actually wanted a boy. We make fun of stuff all the time. I mean, we just yeah. like laugh our asses <laughs> off. And – you know, when my sister was born, they were hoping it would be a boy. So um, the name that they had picked out was John. But when she didn't have a penis, they just added an Ica. So she got the name Jonica. Oh, my God. Okay. So 11 years old, you're like, I'm going to go into reproductive endocrinology. 
And you just, your heart knew, like you followed it the whole time. The whole time, dedicated my life to research. Any, you know, summer I had, I would actually go to Harvard and work at the Recurrent Pregnancy Law Center. They had a recurrent Mm -hmm. miscarriage center there. Um, You know, I probably spent three or four summers there. I got grants, um, helped with publications. And just, you know, in medical school, I knew. In residency, I knew. And I was probably the most annoying um, medical student and most annoying resident because I just knew. And I think I had, um, <laughs> I think I had one professor, he actually apologized for saying this to me like years later. He's like, Amy, can you just tone it down and come across like less obsessed with wanting to do reproductive endocrinology? I'm like, I cannot. <laughs> I'm sorry. Like, I have to honor myself and yeah. be authentic to yeah, me. Exactly. But it serves you so well now because yeah. this is who you are and it's mm-hmm. so clear in your work. So let's talk a little bit about that. You said there's so much more you have to do. And my mind was going to explode in the little mind flow emoji because you literally don't sleep. I mean, you will email me with a client at like 630 in the morning, 11 p.m. Right. And, you know, we've talked privately about not talking a lot about our children. But at the end of the day, the reality is you do have four of them. So how on earth do you do it? With a team, you know, I'm so lucky and fortunate. Uh, hey, ladies, if you're single out there, I highly recommend marrying an ER doctor because, <laughs> like, literally, he's a godsend. Um, you know, I know total that, triage everything. Oh, if they're sick, he can help. March. You know, and um, he just loves being a father, and he knows that um, he knows my mission, and he supports me. And it's never been one of those scenarios where, like. He calls me and says, what's for dinner? You know what I mean? So like he and I just are like, we work great together. We're an amazing team. And he's so brilliant and creative. I joke that he's too expensive to divorce because all these acronyms he's created not that they're worth anything, but oh, like you're at all of yours, all of them. Tush, he's very good at crosswords. So like wow. Tushy method, balls method, egg whisper diet, embryodiamonds.com. They're all him. So I basically just spill the meat. I just like give him all my ideas. And then he like just doodles and then he comes up with a name and I'm like, brilliant. And he's done oh that for God. all of them. Yeah. But yeah, that's how I do it. I mean, that's how I'm able to be so present with my patients because I know that my family is loved and well taken care of. My parents live down the street. We have someone mm-hmm. that lives with us and has lived with us for almost 15 years. So it, it just works really well. And when I'm with my kids, like I'm the fun mom, like I'll mm-hmm. scoop up everyone right. and we'll go roller skating. I'll scoop up everyone and we'll go get our nails done or we'll go to the park. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I, I definitely take advantage of the time that we have together. I love that. When I met you, you were already the egg whisperer. You did not start out as the egg whisperer. When and how did that come to be? Did he have something to do with it? My husband didn't have anything to do with me being the egg whisperer. It was actually a pretty special patient of mine that is one of my best friends now. And I helped her have her babies. They were actually twins. And as a gift to me, she bought the URL, uh, eggwhisper.com. And she said, Amy, this is my, she, she, she actually gave me so many amazing gifts, but this was one of them. And it just kind of spread from there. And the reason why it spread is she came to one of my first egg freezing parties and it was, there were, there was a lot of media there and she just whispered to them, that's my egg whisper. And literally it was like the egg whisper throwing egg freezing parties. And it just kind of took off. Yeah. 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 So great. 
Um, because you are an egg whisperer. So <laughs> well, I love that. I do believe in every egg and its ability to turn into an embryo as much as I can. I love it about you. But it's yeah. funny because I I'm thinking like there's a client I have who I referred to you and she she was like, you were going through the Northern California medical treatment options because I wanted her to switch doctors. And my first recommendation, of course, was you, but she had gone through this list. This is why I won't go here. And this is why I won't go here. And then she said, Dr. Amy, nobody that's that good at marketing could possibly be that good of a doctor. <laughs> and I was like, well, ironically, that's the first person I would send you to. And um, she stands like she's the real deal. She stands behind it. And so she said, all right, let me re- – she's one of these, like, let me research it. So she went to some Reddit chat and she sent it to me. And I was like, I'm not even going to click on this because I freaking hate Reddit and yeah. I don't believe in anything that they do or say. And I wish that my patients, clients would not go to Reddit, et cetera. She's like, but this is good. So I clicked it and it was a amazing. Like, it was actually you. It wasn't just people talking about you. You were doing a Q&A in some form on yeah. Reddit. Yeah. And one of the things that you said was, I'm not like other doctors and I never will be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's never, why ever. everyone loves you. So tell me why you're not like other doctors. I mean, I, th- I'll i just give you one example. So a doctor told a patient – there's two stories I'll tell you, and you can pick which one you like the most. Um, I have a very special patient of mine and now one of my closest friends. And she told me that her fertility doctor before me told her, even if you have all the money in the world, you will not get pregnant. Okay. And I saw her, her AMH was low. She had two follicles. I got two eggs. She has twins that are nine years old now. Stop. From those two? From those two. Oh my God. Uh, I have another patient. Um, Her doctor said, if you were my wife, I would go right to donor egg. So she came to me for a second opinion. And I said to her, look, I, I mean, I can't promise anyone this, but I said, look, What I want us to do is have shirts printed that say, I'm glad I'm not your wife. And you send him a photo of you wearing that picture. Because first of all, who the hell says that to a patient? Um, Let's just say she's printing her t-shirts now. (laughs) So, I mean, I just feel like, you know, I have these sayings like hope never killed anybody. It just takes one egg. I mean, we've all heard those things, but at the same time, I think I'm good at, you know, helping people be practical yet positive and giving them the information that they need so that they feel held. They feel like they have all the information so they can move forward the way that they're supposed to from the very beginning, rather than, you know, figuring things out that they should have figured out you know, a long time ago. So let's talk about things like that that doctors do say. Why do they do that? It's funny. I My first fertility doctor, who I truly loved, was a male, is a male. And he said to me when I asked him if I were your wife, what would you do? And he said, I can never, ever answer that question. And I was so angry at the time, but I actually really appreciate it now. And then I said, well, what if I were your sister? And then he was like, okay, that I would answer. But I do appreciate the extra moment he took to consider the answer to that question. Do you feel like people, doctors, move on to donor scenarios, surrogate scenarios so quickly because of their own? I think I find it with males especially. It's like their own discomfort in watching you potentially suffer more over 
like the long haul. And so they want the quickest fix. Yes, over like might be a faster fix, but might not emotionally be as satisfying. And P.S., I have all the love for donor everything, surrogacy, all of it. There's nothing to say that that's not a perfect solution. It is. It's incredible. But I do feel like doctors sometimes push into it. And I'm curious your thoughts on why. I think a lot of doctors feel like 5% chance just isn't worth their time for a patient. And for me, I think the journey is really important. So even if you give that patient a 5% chance, she'll never look back and wish she had taken that chance. And so one of the things I tell my patients is, look, if we try this and it doesn't work, would you say, I wished I would have gone to donor egg rather than go through this experience and have it not work? Or would you like the experience to at least be able to say, at least I tried? I have had a patient say, actually, I don't want that experience of having it not work because it's 5%. I would like to go to donor egg, but I would say probably 95% of my patients would choose a path forward that includes trying at least once with their own eggs. And that's why people come to me because I'm not going to shame them. I'm not going to say things like, oh, you should have done this 10 years ago. It's like, really? Like, how is that helping anybody? And you're just shaming your patient and you're kind of looking like a douche by saying that. And it just doesn't make the patient feel loved. So I just communicate in a different way to hopefully make the patient feel really positive and really good. And just know that my office is just like a great place to come into and not feel like a fool for trying for that 5%. Yeah. You know, I have my infertility cards of affirmation and one of my favorite ones in there is, um, something like infertility is a moving target. You make the best decision with the information you have in the moment. And I can't tell you how many times people need to be reminded of that. And it just like lets them off the hook right? for what they might've thought was a bad decision, but there are no bad decisions. You're just trying to like, none of us have this down to a perfect science. If we did, it would be so easy, right? Totally. I just call them learning experiences. Like we just are going through these experiences because we have to get through them to get to what was meant yeah. to be and what was meant for us. So how do you feel about the fact, I mean, majority of the people who come to you, I can't say majority because I have no clue what your full patient (laughs) roster looks like, but I think externally, I feel like it looks like the majority of the people who come to you are sort of, they've already been elsewhere and they're like, I need your magic. So how and why are you the magic? Um, That's true. And I feel like it's because of I mean, I think I can say that I've helped someone in every state, every community almost now, whether it's North Dakota or Oklahoma or Florida, there's someone that's touched that patient where they live and shared their story. And so like my patients are basically walking ambassadors for me and what I do to help people know that they are loved and they're worth it. And it's worth fighting for this chance for a pregnancy for them and to not give up. Um, So I think that's why um, I think that's why people come to me because, um, you know, they've heard stories from other patients that have had similar experiences and then they feel like they're not ready to give up and they just want to try one more time and see if I can help them. Okay. Let's talk about your acronyms. Oh, give me the tushy, give me the balls, give me all of it. <laughs> okay, ready? So the egg whisperer diet is my approach to IVF care. Okay, so it's basically four stages. D is diagnosis, I is IVF, E is embryo transfer preparation, and T is transfer. Don't skip any of those. I've seen so many situations where people go right to IVF. They have no idea why. Mm-hmm. Their doctor might know, but no one's explained it to them. And that's not fair because then you don't have the ability to do things that are in your control to improve your chances. 
Now we have the Tushy method. So that's how you get to a diagnosis. So that's T for tubes, U for uterus, S for sperm, H for hormones, Y for your genetics. Please do all the things. And then if the sperm counts low, go to Ball's method. So that's background genetics, including DNA fragmentation. Anatomy includes a varicocele check, which is a dilated vein that sits on the testicle. Labs like testosterone, lifestyle, like are you exercising? Are you smoking? And then supplements. And then I throw in a, a sex talk as well to make sure there's not going to be a sperm emergency on the day of either the IUI <laughs> or the egg retrieval so we can get some sperm frozen. Have you had a sperm emergency before? Uh, I did have one, and I said that will never happen again, mm-hmm. ever. So we actually had to freeze her eggs. This was maybe like 12 years ago. So now I talk to everyone about it, mm-hmm. everybody, so that that never happens. And I'm like, are you going to be nervous? And if the answer is yes, just in case, it's always nice to have sperm on ice. Yeah. Yeah. I okay, have more, wait. but yeah, I, I want to hear more. I know. I'm really? Like, another Oh my God, I have so many more. Okay, you ready? So fertility team. So therapy, exercise, acupuncture, and mindfulness. And then I have egg whisper diamonds. Here we go. So day your embryo was frozen or transferred, the implantation rate per embryo. If the embryo is abnormal, if the embryo is mosaic, if the embryo is normal, D-A-M, I think I messed up there, but you know what I'm saying. O is official reports. Uh, last D is dreams. So these embryos help your dreams come true because sometimes people transfer and then they wait two years and no one told them to do another cycle when they still had eggs. Yeah. And then the last one is S, look at the sperm on the day of the retrieval and make sure there aren't any changes that you would make. Then I have angel methods. So that's for people who have miscarriages. So I like mm-hmm. to um, talk to patients about are there any labs that we should do to prevent a miscarriage before we start your transfer process? So ANGEL is autoimmune issues, anatomy, antifossilipid antibody syndrome, nutrition, genetics, endocrine issues like thyroid disorder, diabetes, and then lifestyle. So those are the five things that we talk through for the ANGEL workup or ANGEL method. I'd love to go into depth a little about autoimmune stuff, only yeah. because it's a part of my story, um, undiagnosed everything, but I did do autoimmune protocol and my transfer that actually worked. So why is it so debated? Why are some doctors so against it and so many so in favor? Um, I mean, I think it's because it's so poorly understood. Um, Wait, you know what? I should back up to let's, will you describe what autoimmune protocol is for anybody that might not know or why we do it? Yeah. There are a number of different protocols when people refer to an autoimmune protocol you know, sometimes that refers to steroids. Sometimes it refers to doing treatments that involve infusions like intralipids or IVIG. Sometimes it refers to a subcutaneous shot called nupigen. So um, there are a number of very well-known reproductive immunologists out there. And what I tell my patients is this, if you feel like there is an autoimmune issue going on and that resonates with you, let's do the workup. Otherwise, I don't think it's necessary unless, of course, someone has a history that makes me think it's necessary, then I'm going to refer them to a reproductive immunologist. You know, I don't hesitate at all doing that. Um, and and, And of course, the immune system has everything to do with an embryo implanting normally. We know that there there are genes that are involved in implantation. And if those genes aren't, you know, well aligned and just 
a perfect match, then the immune system can interfere and affect implantation. Those are the HLA-KAR genes. We know that. And I wish that we could actually test embryos for the HLA genes so we can actually find a better match for everyone's uterus before, you know, but not every patient has, you know, so many embryos to pick from. So, and we don't have the ability to do full genome testing in embryos quite yet. Do you think we will? It's just going to be so expensive and I think cost prohibitive. I mean, right now, if you want to do it, it, I mean, you're talking about probably 50,000 plus just for that. It's, it, and I know, you know, there are a lot of people, there's like a race to the finish line. There's so many stealth companies out there that are, that have been trying to for the last 10 years and no one's been able to get there, but I'm, I'm hopeful someone will be able to soon. Okay. Let's talk more about you. Okay. Cause we're here for you. Yeah. Um, how do you take care of you? How do you, I mean, I feel like you need to, to think about all these acronyms for yourself. Maybe not <laughs> and balls, I don't. But. Abby, I swear to God, if I don't answer an email, people think I've died. They're like, Amy, I emailed you. It's been two hours. Are you okay? And I'm like, I was actually doing a surgery. I'm fine. <laughs> but it's just so unlike you. I'm like, I was doing a surgery. Like, everything is fine. So I almost feel like the need to put like an out of office, like I'm doing a surgery right now. I'm not dead. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, I think what brings me joy is just waking up in the morning and knowing that I'm going to help people and change their lives for the better. And so Mm -hmm. that's kind of my self-care. I know that sounds so cheesy, but that's, do you rest ever? Like, is there, is there, is there rest for you or you feel like you don't, this drives you so much that that it, it fills whatever part of you needs rest. It literally drives me so much. There's some people that just don't require as much sleep and rest, and and that's definitely me. Like I, I think I did 12 procedures today, which is not normal for one human, and that's just my day. And I just I focus and I just say to myself, I have like these chants, and like I always say, you know, gentle and careful, and I just focus. And then I obviously um, I I. I don't drink, you know, alcohol, like, cause obviously I'm on call for myself all the time. I drink very, very rarely. And I, I've already told my patients, I'm not scheduling anything after the Taylor Swift concert because I might be hung over it that morning. <laughs> so there's yeah. going to be no <laughs> procedures that day. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I know it sounds so cheesy, but like every person I meet, I just want to make a difference in their lives. If it's a blood draw, or an ultrasound, like something that seems really simple like that. I just want to make sure that I care about them, I believe in them, and I'm here to help them. And you do. I mean, your patients love you, as they should. Okay, so on that note, just sort of as we wrap up here, is there any maybe advice your dad or grandfather gave you or advice your anybody has given you or some some saying that you think about throughout the day? You said you use mantras. Is there anything? What sticks with you? Um, I, let me turn things. My dad and my grandfather. Oh, yeah, yeah. This is good. My grandfather would always, always tell me, Amy, you are not made for this world. Your sister was, but not you. Cause my sister <laughs> is not like me. Like she likes her patients asleep. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like for <laughs> her, if you know her name, I mean, she's an anesthesiologist. If you know her name and you see her in the grocery store, that's not a good thing. Like not many people would need to know your their names, you know? And that's like her thing. She's like, I don't want anyone to know my name. But I'm such an empath and he always just worried about me thinking that like people would just like eat me alive. You know what I mean? Like I couldn't last because I was so emotional, so passionate and so nice and so kind that I was not going to be able to survive in this crazy ass world. So he always used to tell me that. Um, but it, I, 
he couldn't be more wrong. Well, I think it's your being out of this world or not meant for this world is actually what makes you a perfect fit. It's like he's not exactly wrong. He's right. And it actually serves you as opposed to working against you, you know? Right. Yeah. Well, drink or no drink, you and I have had a longstanding date <laughs> for some tequila shots, and I they am going to cash in on that, that at some point. We are. Okay. October's coming. That's right. Um, thank you. I love you. Thank you for I being here. I love you, here. too. You're so welcome. Woof. She is a hero. I mean, I just love all of her acronyms. I wish that every doctor were able to give that much time and attention and care. And by the way, there are fantastic doctors out there. I don't mean to imply otherwise, but her highly personalized approach is just so unheard of and so amazing. So thank you so much for listening to The Fertility Chick. Please don't forget to write us a five-star review wherever you podcast. It truly helps us out. Also, please share this podcast with anyone and everyone you know who's struggling or not through infertility. It really makes a difference to be able to share these stories and we need all the support we can get. While you're at it, follow me at Abby Feeder, at The Fertility Chick, at InCircle Fertility on Instagram. We'll link all of Dr. Amy's info here and I can't wait to talk to you next week. Bye.